Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm Jason Van Taten of your host, and it is a bright and sunny day here in Estes Park, Colorado. I just got back into town last night, drove up from the airport I had been in Washington, D.C. So the reason I didn't get so much content out this week is because I flew out at the beginning of the week and uh, met with my my just fantastic attorney team and uh, testified before Congress, testified before the um, January 6th Capitol Insurrection uh, Investigative Committee. On the record, I, I had spoken with them previously off the record. Um, so this time was in person and on the record. And I will be talking about that more um, at the end of the show and what I'll be doing with that because I I was writing and uh, recording little snippets as I went along. And yeah, I kind of talked about it in the, the Propagandist uh, podcast episode. So today, as promised, I have kind of a two-way interview. It's with a, a gentleman named Corey Hutchins. And it's a two-way interview because I, for those of you who follow my social media and such on Facebook, I, I had linked to an article that was written last week by Corey Hutchins uh, talking about myself and the specifically the Colorado Switchblade. And this is the interview that led to that article. But we had both kind of reached out to each other saying, hey, I wanted, I, I wanted to do a podcast interview with them. He wanted to write an article. So we decided, well, let's just sit down and record our we'll interview each other and, um, you know, create our own version of things based on that interview. And uh, I got to tell you, it turned out great. The, the interview, I'm so excited for you all to hear this. Uh, there's so much good energy and we're focusing on local media specific to Estes Park and Northern Colorado um, and, and really around the nation, but how the rise of Substack and, and writers and, and, journalists and whatnot going independent and launching their own um, Substack publications, um, whether it's on Substack or, or doing it through a, a different venue. Um, so yeah, and, and Corey's a great guy to talk about this. Corey is the interim director for Colorado College's Journalism Institute, the Colorado-based contributor for Columbia Journalism Review, their United States project, a member of the Washington Post Talent Network, and a journalist for news outlets, um, various different news outlets. And um, so his background is in alternative weeklies, long-form accountability journalism projects, political reporting, and writing about local media. The Colorado Media Project is where he writes his case studies. Um, is, and it's underwriting the, uh, the Substack newsletter, which is entitled Inside the News. And if you haven't checked it out, I'm going to put a link into it on this, uh, in, in the accompanying article to this podcast. Um, and it appears at Colab and uh, he sometimes writes there at Colab as well. So yeah, that's who we're talking about. And there's so much energy to this interview. It, it just listen to it till the end, because we get into so many subjects from the dichotomy of me being this national figure as far as getting a lot of national press coverage for my time with the Oath Keepers and speaking out about violent extremism now and take that and, and dovetail into local journalism, very specific to, to Esses Park in Northern Colorado. So we're just going to 
jump into this and I hope you enjoy it. If you do, please share it out. Um, if you're loving what you get here, please, please consider uh, becoming a paid member. That really helps me to continue doing this. And uh, if you're a local business owner and would like to sponsor one of these podcasts, reach out to me, Jason at Colorado switchblade.com. All right. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed uh, being a part of it. Cool. So I, I, I can start. Um, so obviously you just had this big profile come out in the Denver post. It's not the first time that you've been profiled. You were profiled nationally by ABC and you're, you're featured heavily in a big documentary, but it looks like this was the first time that you appeared in, in local media. And I, um, I, I doubt that that'll be the only time it will kind of surprise me if it doesn't kind of get picked up more, more locally after that. I guess I wonder, first of all, uh, since that's, what's the feedback been since that piece came out in Colorado? It's been good. I mean, I, I guess I expected more feedback. I have had a couple of people just come up to me out of the blue. Hey, you're that writer guy, huh? Uh, but that could be more due to, um, you know, just the combination of everything, you know, cause I have been, I have been on nightline a couple of times. I, I had a spot, make it on a good morning. America I was on the Hulu documentary and then the ABC's start here podcast, you know, and I've got places like national geographic that have reached out to me and, and I may wind up being one of the star witnesses, according to my attorneys for the, the January 6th Capitol insurrection, um, uh, congressional hearings this summer. And so my lawyers are trying to prep me on like, this is a really big camera that's going to be on you. You just have to understand that. Um, yeah, no so, yeah. And, and, you know, the switchblade, and I don't know if it's just because of all the national press, I think it has more to do with just relating to people on a, a human level, on a local level, but the, the podcasts and the switchblade is, has really been taken off more than I thought it would have um, being so, so new. Well, that's, kind of what I wanted to talk to you for the purposes of my newsletter. So um, as you might know, I write about kind of, um, what, what's going on behind the scenes in the local media ecosystem, the local media landscape in Colorado. And, um, and I love it, by the way. I, I, I've, been, I've been reading it religiously since I, I found out about it. And I, I, I love it because, you know, you, you know some of the actors and stuff. And it's just it's a good behind the scenes pulse of what's going on. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, we, you and I met. Um, I have to kind of admit that I was kind of ignorant to your, to, to what, uh, to, to you and what you've been up to. I didn't realize that you were in Colorado until um, we were in that Substack writers group. So, well, that's uh, kind of by design too. So you understand. So I've been working behind the scenes since leaving mm -hmm. the, the Oath Keepers, you know, you know, five years or so ago back um, with, with some of the top names in national journalism covering extremism and stuff. But, and I did that because I felt like I had to kind of give back for, um, for, for my time with the Oath Keepers um, as kind of a, a, a karmic, my personal karmic retribution. And that also kind of drove me to, to, you know, becoming a first responder. I was, I, I was a, a fireline uh, EMT for the forest service um, I worked EMS outside of Glacier National Park. I was on the Can-Am search and rescue team. <clears throat> I'm finally getting to the point now where it's like, all right, I've, I've made good. And, and to be fair, you got to understand, for me to, to get involved with the Oath Keepers, it really was 
like I, I kind of came to it as like my my number one influence. I have two major influences when it comes to me being a writer. One of which is is based in the real world, and one of which is based in fiction. The one in the real world is Hunter S. Thompson. Like I just grew up on Hunter S. Thompson. You understand? My grandfather, Colorado writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, you know, he's an immersive writer, uh, a participatory uh, journalist, and and really kind of was kind of that that vanguard that that pushed that in such great ways. And he had such a profound impact. My, my grandfather growing up was one of the forerunners of the abstract expressionist movement in New York City back in the 50s and 60s. And so I grew up in this kind of beat writer, bohemian New York City art scene. Um, and that's kind of the, the life I've lived. And, you know, uh, when, when your heroes are people like Hunter S. Thompson going out and, and rubbing elbows with extremists isn't really that big of a jump. Because for me, that was like, oh, I'm going to go you know, this will be my version of, of Hunter S. Thompson's Hell's Angels. But, you know, it didn't quite work out that way because I wound up becoming the propagandist for him. And, you know, part of that's due to just poor decision making that I own. Um, and part of it's due to, you know, we were living in poverty and there aren't many writer jobs in northwestern Montana for a guy with tattoos on his, you know, on every surface of his body and, and you know, sporting a mohawk at 45 I got to say, I, uh, when we were in that first, on that first Zoom call, when they put us in that writer's group, I think that they, I think um, we wound up in the same small group, probably because we both produce Substack newsletters in Colorado. Yeah. And I'm like, I think you had a Meow Wolf hat on at the time. And I thought, oh, is this guy from Colorado? And you, and you started talking and you mentioned you were spokesperson for the Oath Keepers. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> um, but then I realized, okay, no, you're, and then you started talking about what you're doing now. And, you're, you know, um, I think what the headline I'll use is a reformed uh, ex militia uh, spokesperson. But right. the Denver Post handled that. I thought at least did a really good job on that aspect of your life. And what I'm interested in for my newsletter, um, if you don't mind, I kind of want to talk about what you're doing with Colorado Switchblade because I, follow this stuff. I, I track what's going on in the local media across the country, in particular in Colorado. And I really think that, you know, we're going to see a lot more of the kind of work that you're doing. Independent content creators, uh, whether they have journalism backgrounds or not. Um, right. You work for the local paper. So you actually have kind of institutional cachet as a byline in Estes Park. But I'd really like to dig into what you're doing with Colorado Switchblade as a potential model in other cities and towns like yours. So if you could tell me how you how you describe the local media scene, the local media ecosystem of Estes, Estes Park, and, and how you see yourself fit into that. Sure. What, what, and to be just, and I'm just going to be brutally honest, and I'm going to swear the whole time. I, I, I just warn everyone I do interviews with, like, I, that's how I talk. Um, <clears throat> I would describe the local news uh, climate here as literally in hospice. Um, it, 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 I, you can't call it gentrification, really. You can't even call it like the the old folks' home of journalism. We're we're dying, and and we have these hedge funds out in under um, digital was it digital first and Prairie Mountain Media owns uh, the Trail Media. Gazette. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, right. um, and you know what, I, I heard these grand stories of the golden years of the eighties and nineties, um, in, in media here. And you have to understand like, yeah, that, that may have been how the world was, 
but that's no longer how it is. I mean, we've got one reporter in town who lives in Boulder. So how do you can cap, you know, how you can cover breaking news and really get into the heart of a community and get to those human, those real human experience stories, which is what I really kind of go after um, is, is, you know, you've got to be a member of the community. You got to be plugged in. You've got to know the stories that are going on behind the scenes. Um, <clears throat> and you can't do that with a lead reporter living out of Boulder. The other person they have now, now Wendy is the, the editor and she is an angel. She is just amazing. She used to work for, she was an editor for NPR um, in like down in Arizona or New Mexico or something. Um, and she is the best editor I've ever worked with. So there's still really good people that are working in the trenches. You know, the, those people that have that burning passion that they believe in, in, you know, what journalism brings to a community. But unfortunately, the powers that be just don't give a fuck. And they're trying to wring out the last little bit of profit that they can get um, before it just dies, right? And I think this is kind of just from talking to other journalists around the state um, and then around the country. This is kind of how things are going. And the only way we have to survive is to do what I'm doing, to, to really, because let's think about this. Like, okay, the bridge is burning, but do we really need the bridge anymore? Are we going back to the old way things, things were done? I don't think we are. I think we let the bridges burn and we keep moving forward and find a new world that's better, that, well, that we can get okay. paid, you know, living wages and creatives can, that, that are really the heavy hitters for local media can really find their value and still have, the community still has their voices. So um, one of the things, and I think you make an important distinction that the what's happening, what, what sounds like what's happening at the paper in Estes Park um, is, is happening to other papers under that Alden Global Capital, which is the hedge fund that, that, fi that financially controls these papers, um, kind of happening or, or in other papers around the state, these small uh, around, papers. Around the, the entire nation. And around, and around the country. And, you know, you can't blame the journalists who work there that no. that do excellent work under the conditions that under some pretty pretty awful conditions right so you i think you're right to uh, focus your ire on the on the people that own these institutions and it's an and it's like it's it's an interesting question about um whether you know you you're if you're a journalist like like you could have stuck around at the estes park paper but um, you know, I read that piece that you wrote about it, and it didn't look like it was financially sustainable for you. No. Um, so you hear some people kind of put to these journalists who work there sometimes, why don't you just quit and go start something else? And for a lot of folks, I don't think that that's really a possibility. Uh, what, I mean, didn't I read that, like, could you, could didn't you inherit a house in Estes Park? Could you actually live there and do what you're doing writing for Colorado Switchblade if you had to rent an apartment? Or could you buy well, I mean, we're still, we're still paying the mortgage. We're still paying, okay. you know. And I'm sure that's pretty high. A high rent, you know, basically it's a rent. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, I can't be evicted necessarily because it's my family that owns the house. So, um, so yes, I am very lucky in that regard. But with the advent of new media like, like Substack, really more than anything the the thing that and and all creatives i think are kind of like this where we kind of we have crippling self-doubt uh you know intermingled with 
you know, soaring megalomania at times. But, um, you know, that crippling self-doubt will oftentimes, well, I just can't do that. Like, you know, I'm not a publisher. I don't have printing presses. I don't, you know, I don't have a web presence, but none of that matters. What matters is the storytelling we're doing. Like if you, my whole, my whole philosophy on approaching this, you know, it was like, fuck, it's, you know, the world's upside down. Our, our, we've been evacuated twice this year for forest fires. There've been two times I didn't know if I had a home to go back to. You know, my wife died for three minutes six months ago. Um, you know, I'm making $12 an hour for 16 hours a week at the local paper and they won't follow through on the promises they made. Like, what else am I gonna do? I, in times like that, I go back to what I do just inherently, which is make art and write. Um, and, uh, you know, at times speak my mind. And I'm, I, I did that before this period of time. I'm going to do it after. And then if this doesn't work out, like I'm still going to be making art. I'm still going to be writing. Um, but I think we're at a dynamic period in history where the world's rethinking itself. When we're seeing with the, the mass resignation, people changing, you know, people really had a, a come to God moment during the pandemic. And now we're looking at like, we don't even know, like next month, will we be around? Will Putin throw all the, the mute missiles? Like, we may be witnessing the end of the world. So why not just try? Why not just see what I can do with this? And this is a project like I had to then pitch the Colorado Switchblade concept to the publisher of the, the Trail Gazette. And of course, he thought it was a great idea. We should do it. But, you know, he wanted to do it in a way we could sell it off to a vulture fund like Alden, um, which is not what I was interested in. I'm interested. I think we've, we've kind of become gentrified as journalists to a certain degree. And if you look back at, for me, the golden age of journalism is like the early 60s. Look at what Rolling Stone was doing, you know, with, with, with Hunter S. Thompson and whatnot. Like, we need to talk about life. We need to, to talk about the good things. We got to talk about the bad things too. Don't get me wrong. We got to call out the bullshit and we got to deal with the growing pains of getting to where we want to go. But like, the future's not certain and our industry is not certain. So why don't we let that burn? Let's let, just let that old world burn and move towards a new one. Like online, I don't have to worry about printing presses. I don't need to worry about any of that. I do all my own illustration. I, I, I'm literally in my bedroom. It's, it's a big room, but it's the back of my bedroom is my studio and where I write from. And from here, I've been able to reach millions of people. So, so, how, so let's talk about um, financial sustainability because um, you know, you, you and I, we were in this, uh, this month long, uh, Substack writers group. And at, at one point, you know, we, we heard about potential ways to, to monetize the newsletter. Um, I think what you're doing is, I mean, you're doing something completely different than me. You're, you're, first of all, you're doing original local news for your community and you've paired it with a podcast. Um, how can you, what is six, what would financial success actually look like? And how do you see yourself actually getting there? For me, and I'm getting there more and more. So this is a long game. These games are not short, immediate payoffs. You know, these are these are games that are going to be measured in years, right? So you know, if right now I'm at, I've had a podcast up for 28 days, and I can screen share with you and show that I've had 3,000 downloads of just the podcasts, not just people reading the, the articles and stuff, but just people who have downloaded the podcasts within 28 days, I've got 3000 of them, which, you know, that's probably not too much on a, a big national level, but considering I just launched podcasting 30 days ago, it's moving the right direction. Yeah. And I can tell you that I've made, you know, in the last month, 
between book sales and I do novels. I do, you know, I have, I have some, some uh, serial projects that I have up on Amazon Bella. Yeah, you are a, you're a cross platform. <laughs> yeah. And I've got, you know, I sell artwork. I, I show artwork in Denver down at Bit Factory and do shows oh, everywhere. Right. So I, I sell artwork, but you know, just on writing alone, just on the, the, the Substack journalism aspect, you know, and this is, I, I think I've made like two or three grand since I, I launched it, but you know, 400 of that has been in the last two weeks. So things are ramping up and those donations, and, and I rely on a donation model. So I have a membership base, I have paid members and I have free members and I have like a founding membership where you can go from 50 to $100. $100 is the cap of the donation. And I kind of wanted to do it this way. So, because I saw a lot of news stories specifically in this community that never were told because they involved either the powers that be or the largest advertisers in town. Um, you know, what happened with the J-1 visa workers during the pandemic um, with one of the major uh, employers of J-1 visa workers, you know, those people wound up on, on our couches. Um, and, and, you know, there was, no one knows about it. I wrote a, a novel about it. I, I wrapped a novel around the story of it um, just to get it out there. Um, but, you know, whether it's, you know, we had a, a police captain who just committed suicide after he was busted for getting blackout drunk and endemically beating his wife and his previous wife, you know, 20 year history of it and, you know, shattered her orbital, like two or three uh, breaks to her, her, her spinal column, like put her in the hospital. And, you know, this is a guy who's got a 20 year history of this and yet we have no record of it. There's no record of any of this ever. And even the internal affairs investigation. How'd you find out about it? Because I'm good at what I do. Because the, the community <laughs> talks to me. Because I'm original a member local, of the community. Original local reporting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, you've got to have human connections to really so do investigate. Just to clarify, was this covered in local media or did you break, you broke that story? Um, it was covered, but it was only covered in the releases that the, the uh, police department put out. Um, and that ties into a much bigger story that goes back to the eighties that I'm not going to, let's not even talk about that right now. Um, but you know, there's just a lot of what happens and there's another newspaper in town and that's run by a couple that they do a great job for what it is, but it's not a journalism necessarily newspaper in that it's all like happy, positive spin stories. Cause we're a huge resort town. We got like 4.7 million, 5 million people come through town just last summer. So the world comes to Estes Park, which gives us a lot of opportunities um, to, to get a larger audience than you would have, say, in Leadville or, you know, other small towns. Yeah, that's kind of that's one thing I wanted to ask you about. How, how, how do you who do you see as your audience? I mean, you are a audience. you're a national figure. You're also local there. Um, how do you decide, like, what, what do you think about your audience when you're approaching a story? Is it just people who live and live in like an park? No, I, I, you know, I live in Estes. The stories Colorado. that happen in Estes, Colorado, Estes Park, you know, they intrigue me. But in the end, my litmus test for any story I'm writing is, does that interest me as a human being? Like, would I read that if I came across it? Would, would that interest me? Like, that's my whole editorial um, you know, mission is to just find stories that I think are cool, that that either a there's something really awful happening to people that that don't have a voice about it and, and are getting screwed, or there's something really cool going on that I think people should know about, or even just, 
hey, this movie hit me in this way and it's dealing with these issues, you know, whatever it may be. Let's face it, writing is about life. It's about life experience. So my stories, I try to make them about living in our time now as this generation and those life experiences as, you know, and, and it's kind I mean, in a way, it's kind of general interest in that you're doing arts and culture. You're doing you're writing about uh, local music and, and bands and, and the, the, the blasting room. I saw that. Yeah. Um, but you're also you're doing accountability reporting. Yep. Uh, digging up documents, stuff like that. And did I just see on your site you're doing like you have these series where you're actually interviewing the people who are for the next election? Yeah, no, I'm so I've got I just talked with the, the town government today. I'm going to be getting little exclusive sound bites that are like I'm doing a whole series around this election because we got an yeah. election coming up April 6th. So I'm trying to, to get I'm giving an open forum for all of the candidates that are running for, for town council to come and talk and just. You know, I'm not going to grill them on things because that's not what this is about. It's a meet. Well, are they? I wonder. Are they? Are they receptive to you? They know who you oh, are. Oh yeah, no, I've got. I've got a line. Everyone in town reads I mean, I. You understand? Like, I'll write stuff, and I, I, I often will get messages from you know the people in city government, and I won't say who, but you know whether that's law enforcement or or just town administration or politics that are just like, hey, I dug that story, and of course I do also get the shit as well because you're going to piss off half in a small town on any given week, half the town hates you for what you've written. Um, any other half loves you, but that flips as you, you know, as the, the balance of life comes through and you're just kind of reporting what's happening. Cause we're not making up the news. Like we're just talking about the shit that's happening around us. So, you know, are, are you, are you, are you seen more by the sources who you're interacting with, particularly around the local election? Do they know you as, a former national spokesperson for a radio. No, they know you as the local journalist. Who they know me as a local journalist. Yeah. That's and that's because I kind of, I, so after I left, I didn't finish that story. I'm really good at jumping around. Um, after I left the Oath Keepers, I worked on all these big stories of like Ken Bensinger from the LA Times and, you know, writers from New York Times and Washington Post. And I always did it like they wanted to use me as a name source, but I just wasn't ready. I wanted to be done. Like I didn't want to. Part of my problem is I was a writer and an artist and whatnot before I got involved with the Oath Keepers, just like Hunter Thompson was before the Hells Angels. Right. But you get plugged in. And for a period of time, you're always associated. Oh, that he's that Oath Keeper guy. Right. So I wanted to kind of just be judged on my words and what I'm writing, and what I'm putting out there not my associations. And, you know, that was a, a, a fantastically horrible decision I made. Um, and I got to live with, but in the end, I'm just hoping in time, you know, I've got to own what I did. I knew it was going to come out. I knew it was probably going to be around the six and I've been working on this novel um, detailing my time with the, the Oath Keepers. Um, and, you know, my literary agent's like, look, you got to start putting your name on stuff. People got to know that you're more than just what's out there. And I did that with the Washington Post, and that's what kind of set off this rapid fire of, of national attention, um, because I already kind of had the, the rapport built with these high-level journalists, because you know, I've been helping them out for years um, and helping explain the stories behind the scenes. As, and as an unnamed source. As an unnamed source. Yeah. So now I'm a named source. So <laughs> you know, the national media jumps right on that. And uh, you know, Congress, I mean, fuck, I had... I had a voice message at 6.30 a.m. the morning after the Hulu documentary aired, and it was the congressional investigator saying, hey, we'd really like to talk to you. Um, 
And then of course I had to go through the process of getting an actual like law firm to, cause even if you're a friendly witness, like if, when you're doing a, a congressional inquest um, that, that may get much bigger, um, you've got to have attorneys. So I had to work with, um, actually it was Mary McCord helped me find the right people. And I'm going to be co-authoring an article with Mary McCord. She was the, she's a former attorney general for national security. She runs Georgetown law now, um, their, their legal department. Um, she was in the Hulu documentary with me. She, she writes all the time for New York times, Washington post, LA times. She just had an article in the Idaho Statesman. Um, but we're going to be co-authoring once, once I get through this first round um, of, of the investigation, um, uh, we're going to be co-authoring a article for like New York Times, Washington Post. We're, we're trying to figure out where to shop it around to now, but, um, you know, it'll be that level um, just talking about, you know, the dangers of extremism and, and propaganda and such and and just how we can maybe avoid some of this or, you know, move forward. And you're and you're doing all this and, and at the same time doing a, a local news sub stack about local news. Part. <laughs> well, this is my life. This is just what is journalism? What is a journalist? A journalist just kind of records what's happening in the life experience of that particular time. Right. That's what I'm doing. I'm just I'm documenting my life experience and that the story is happening around me in my my sphere of life. Right. So these are just the things happening around me and I have connections in that I, and people trust me that I can go talk to them and they'll give me the story. Um, and so, and I'm really good at talking to anyone. So um, last question on the, on, the, on the local news angle, what, what advice might you have for someone looking to do original local news in a newsletter and podcast format in a city or town like Estes Park? Not that there's, not that that Estes Park is replicable. No, no, go ahead. They could do it here too. I mean, fuck. All right. So, so what, what would be your advice to just to jump one man band approach? Just jump in and do it. Like you can talk about launching projects and you can dream about it, but what it really takes to manifest something from your, your, your idea ether to reality is just sitting down and fucking doing it. Um, and then getting better learning as you go. Like I'm a hack writer. I am, I admit it openly, but I keep at it and I, I seem to be getting a little better and more and more people are reading me. So I must be doing something right. Um, but just keep at it. You know, we have this kind of imposter syndrome, like, oh, I couldn't do that. You know what? History doesn't remember any of the people that said I, I couldn't do that. They, they remember people say, you know what? Maybe I, I, I might be able to do that. I bet I could. You know, our generation needs our Hunter S. Thompsons. They need our our, our, our writers and our novelists and our artists and our activists and, and, you know, our generation, it's time for us to take the torch. And you know what, if the old ways of doing things, the old worlds of journalism and writing and publishing and, you know, art galleries is burning down to the ground because the, the system we had put together just isn't lasting, well, then we need let it burn and let's figure out a new world where we can do it better. Like we're at that point now. So just jump in and figure it out and, and just see, like you separate yourselves from 90% of your competition just by trying because 90% of people are just going to sit there and talk about it and think about it and table it for another day. It's the people that say, you know what, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to try. I'm going to, I'm going to really, really try this and figure it out. Um, they're the ones who are within that 10% that actually go on, you know, and, and 5% or 3% or whatever it is, go on and make it to where they want to make it. But you don't ever get there unless you just sit down and try. So just jump in.
That's my advice. Just if you want to be a writer, start writing, right? Every day and, and just get better. Learn as you go. Cool. Well, I appreciate you talking to me about it and, you know, letting me learn a little bit more about what, what Colorado Switchblade, how Colorado Switchblade sees its role. Talk, tell me about the name. What, what do you, the name? you know what? I, I, I just had it, you know, I'm kind of on this whole, um, you know, I've, I've been this consummate rebel forever, you know, growing up, I was the first kid with a tattoo and the first kid to ride a motorcycle at Fort Collins high school, you know, in my class, you know, when I was in going through my first art school, I became the art director of the color red magazine, which is like the, the underground Denver music magazine in the nineties. Um, so I've always been kind of this, you know, and my parents, my grandparents were like beatnik hippies from New York city in, in the actual art scene, you know, hit, you know, rubbing elbows with the beat writers and hanging out with them and shit. Um, so where do you go to rebel from that? You know, and that's kind of where I came into my Oath Keeper side of things was, well, fuck it. I'm going to go hang out with these extremists because, you know, I've already, you know, I'm immersed in this, this left creative world. So I'm going to go see what things are like over there. And that's kind of what spurred me to do things. Um, and, uh, you know, but. Yeah, I think you were, you were about to ask me something. I was going to ask you, um, what do you actually think of it? I mean, you're a journalist guy. You cover journalism across the state. What, what are your thoughts on what I'm doing? So I'll, I'll say this. Uh, first of all, when I, when, I, when I saw it, I was annoyed um, that, I, that I wasn't already aware of it. Um, you know, I, and I, 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 st I still kind of am. I mean, it was, it was serendipitous that, we, that, you know, I think I learned of Colorado Switchblade because we're both on Substack and we, we're both in this Substack writers thing. I really wonder how long it would have taken me to catch wind of this, and and that kind of bothers me. And I'll tell you because I see it as a personal failing. I, um, you know, consider myself as somebody who spends a lot of time trying to figure out what's going on in the local news ecosystems around Colorado. I'm currently working on a news mapping project in which we're trying to find um, places where people are getting their local news and information in all of the state's 64 counties. So that you had been around uh, as long as you had, which I, it's not like it was years, I don't think. Well, I mean, with the, the paper, it would have been, so I've been doing that, a No, I'm just talking about, the, just talking about Colorado. Which yeah, point. but a lot of the um, audience like I, like I have came from the, the Trail Gazette because they liked what yeah. I was writing about. Because I was the first person to write about queer issues ever in the history of rock of, of S's Park, you know? I, I had an exclusive interview with the governor about growing up gay on the front range of Colorado. You know, I was, I was going out to Aspen to cover like the, uh, the beat writers pop-up art shows. You know, I just kind of took a different approach to things, which is still my same approach, which is, wow, that's a cool story. I want to dig into that, you know, and but I- to, to get back to what I, to, to get back to, to, to answer your question. So I started out annoyed and then I looked at it and was like, wow, this is, this is pretty interesting. Here is the kind of um, person doing what I think we're going to see pop up in cities all across, all across Colorado, but some in Colorado, which already kind of do exist to an extent. You have newsletters like Boulder Beat in Boulder, where the Shea Castle left as a reporter from the Boulder Daily Camera and is now trying to fill gaps in local government coverage there. You have um, Kelly Reagan in, in closer to your neck of the woods, actually, in uh, Northern Colorado doing um, a newsletter called the NoCo Optimist. She used to work at the, I think the Greeley Tribune and maybe the Coloradoan and is now I think, 
got doing doing her own thing. So you're seeing this happen around yours, I think is different in that it's a it's more it's more broad. I think you cover a bunch of different a range of issues in an interesting way. I thought what you did about uh, super smart to localize uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine by doing what local journalists should be doing in their communities everywhere, finding the people in the communities with a connection to what's going on there right. and talking to them about it. Follow the um, story, find the connection yeah. where you're at and then follow that story. Like that's what that so, is. So I'm, so I'm frankly really interested in the new um, business models to support local journalism. And so the, some of the biggest questions, like the content you're doing is, I mean, that, seems like it's the kind of content that should find an audience in, in Estes Park and find an audience in, um, in Northern Colorado and to an extent nationally, because you do kind of uh, cover these issues in a, in a bigger way, or that would be interesting to people just beyond uh, where you live. Um, and so the big question for me is, how can you make that financially sustainable where that becomes the full-time job that you have and you don't have to do other, other things? And is it something that can actually grow to the point where in a couple of years, can you afford to hire people that go I, um, report on, you know, just the local zoning commission, if it's not being done or to fill gaps in local coverage, is that a goal for you? Or you it is, it's, a, it's the goal. Okay. Like, this is what I need to do because I'm raising daughters and I have a sick wife and so the big I, I really can't work for people. So I have to. Yes. And I think it's going to happen on a faster timeline. So I put myself at a three to five year timeline to build a free base first that I could then either move to a paid model or figure out a advertising sponsorship method that can support it. And I think what I figured out, this is, this is my plan moving forward and it's, it's beginning to move that direction. I can't say it's going to be successful yet, but it's moving in the direction where I think it has a possibility, a good possibility of becoming successful. And that is, you know, the people who want to donate, I think, I think the news needs to be free. I think the stories I do and everything else at this point, maybe oh, that's, time. So that's actually important. So you actually decided already, you would prefer a model where you're not paywalled. Well, I'm not going to say that I'm never going to do it. Yeah. I'm not going to say that I'm never going to do it. I want to say that I want to find alternatives that will allow me to keep providing it for everyone for free. Cause I know in my own life experience, like it would, be kind of a stretch to get a couple of these newsletters at even five dollars a month you know that's money that could go towards milk for my kids or you know gas or tires um and you know i i'm definitely a starving artist starving writer but here's what i'm figuring out is you know i've had my first businesses approach me about possible sponsorship of the podcast and, okay. and the numbers are there. So I think if I were to say, bring on three sponsors and I don't need much, like to be comfortable, I'm not looking to, to become rich. I mean, and no one's going to get rich um, starting there, off. No, so that's the thing though. There are people getting rich. Like there are people making a ton of money on Substack. Those people are not doing local journalism. Right. But this is my gig and this is where I, I'm finding. So I think if I can find three good advertisers at $600 a month to sponsor NPR style, like my my podcast, you know, where I have three mentions and I only have three at a time and that's it. That gives me 1800 extra dollars to live off of. For me, that's quite a bit because we've been living at, under the poverty line so long, like extra two grand almost like shit, I can do that. And then with the book sales, that's going to come in more, um, you know, and having realistic goals. Like I, at this point, I just want to be able to like, not have to worry about having gas in the car and getting new tires and that all my bills are going to get paid. And my kids have you know, medical care 
and clothes for school and that I can provide a good life for them, you know, a good baseline, which I'm doing now, but it could be better. And I think, you know, a couple grand could do that. But I think if I just continue with that method, I think it's going to grow and grow. I think it will become to the point where, you know, it, it, it can make what other people, because I know that, you know, I kind of have a lower expectation of like, I'd be happy at two grand a month. I can make that work. Um, you know, cause I've lived at less than that for so long. So I think that, you know, as I think it'll get better than that. And I think it's happening faster. And I think it just has to do with, I just got to keep doing what I'm doing because if I'm passionate about it and I really dig it. And I think there are other people like me who grew up in Colorado that, you know, the, the old school skateboarders and, you know, punk rock guys and music art geeks. Um, you know, we all grew up together here in Colorado and there's still a lot of us around. If I just write from that perspective and, and Colorado's hot right now, everyone wants to be living in Colorado and we're kind of the OGs of Colorado. And so if we can bring that OG sensibility along with embracing the changing of Colorado, the influx of new cultures and new people. And, you know, that's the future. We got to do it anyway. So if I can figure out a way to do that and, and, you know, well, that's the question is the figuring it out. And, and yeah. my advice would be that from one thing that I think I've, I think I've learned um, in, in following these local news business models is that the idea of just providing, like just thinking, okay, I've nailed the content and uh, you know, if, if we build, if, if we build it, they will come, they, they won't I, I, I'm afraid, like, yes, you'll get, you'll get readers. But I do think that you have to, you should, you know, be strategic on the, on the business side. And this is a problem because journalists just don't like to do that. Right. Right. Writers, writers would love to believe that if they just put good work out into the world, that magically they'll get rewarded financially for it. And when doing, I think the local, the, the local news stuff, I mean, you actually have to kind of also be, if you're doing this, this one band band thing, you kind of also have to be that business person too. And, right. and take that. But know, I gotta, I gotta get it. I wish I had the answer for you on what that, what that looks like. Well, I, what do you I think, think it is though? I mean, you, so you, you obviously have thought about this, you know, the, yeah. the industry better than um, me anyway. What do you think is a model that could possibly work? <laughs> If I had the answer to that, then they ought to give me the Nobel Prize, frankly. <laughs> I think I'm going to keep writing and I'm going to keep, I, I may go to all paid. I don't know. I think I got to build my readership base a lot more before then. You know, I need to be to the point where, you know. I think there's a model where you, where you, you don't, you, you do paid exclusive content, but you also provide a lot for people that, that don't pay for it. Yeah. And, you know, finding that balance. And, and what that looks like. I mean, that's what I'm thinking about with, with my newsletter now. And I mean, I mean, we learned some of this in our Substack writers thing, right? Right. Where's that balance? How much do you give away for free? And, and what can you provide to your, they keep talking about the intimate relationship with your audience, right? And, and, and how you can monetize that, so. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing. I'm gonna try this sponsorship thing. Uh, maybe I can get more than $600 a month out of it if my numbers are good. You know, I maybe, so. maybe I need to see my own value. And, and again, we're the creatives, like we're the people who are in the trenches writing the stories and, and doing the layout and making the illustrations and doing the photography. Like we didn't, we didn't want to sell shit. So we didn't sell shit. Um, so, you know, we're really bad at selling ourselves, but we know, I think we just need to know that we've got so much value in what we're doing, you know, cause we were the ones doing it for the big dogs, 
that you know are now being bought by the largest conglomerates in the world like that's all resting on the work and shoulders and sweat of the creatives who are the writers and the photographers and the editors and the the layout artists and the art directors like that's all us we still have those skills we're still really good at that we just have to find our own value and figure out a way to to get the communities around us that love what we do to to help us do that by supporting us financially and i don't know that those are the answers we've got to figure out i at least figured out what i want to write and you know found my platform and found legal aid because that's a big thing of it and found a place where we can have healthcare you know substacks doing all the right things they've mm -hmm. given us this this you know open model that we can take and make our own it's like you know minecraft we've got the world of minecraft we can build what we want so i'm going to go build some really cool shit and see what works well, I, you know, I think that Colorado Switchblade is something that not just people in Colorado could look at to see what you're doing and to see if there's a, a potential model for a future there, but, but folks around the country too. So I plan to keep, um, I plan to uh, keep, keep tabs on it and, and, and follow what you're doing. And, and hopefully my, you know, like I said, I plan to write about this in my newsletter this week. So um, my know, next big project I'm working keep, on. Keep it up. I'm going to be going to uh, to Congress. I'm actually going to be doing a participatory <laughs> I I you know, coverage <laughs> of going to Congress and what's happening over the summer. So I'm going to like, what would how would Hunter S. Thompson cover this? Maybe with less gonzo and more just like participatory and facts, but like trying to put people into the moment of like, this is what it's like to go to a, a congressional uh, inquest and be part of congressional hearings because, you know, I'd be interested in that. And you're going to do it on acid? uh i'm kidding it's colorado so probably at least pot and and mushrooms but only while in Colorado. Oh God, not, 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 not in the dc <laughs> oh, well uh hey it's it's been great uh chatting with you i look forward to hearing how the the podcast version of this comes out all right sounds good man cool Thanks, I appreciate okay. it Bye. all right folks well i hope you enjoyed that podcast i know i did um, some big news this morning, thought I'd share with you. I got my first real, uh, serious offer, uh, from a major publisher on my propagandist project book that I've been kind of putting together for the last year. Um, it has evolved a little bit and whatnot, but exciting news is starting to happen and, uh, we'll see where that, that winds up going. Uh, later on this week, um, I do speak with, uh, the town administrator here in Essence Park, kind of a a schoolhouse rock throwback to explaining some of the uh, the positions and issues around local government here in Essex Park. So we'll we'll talk with you again real soon. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Van Tatenove, and this has been the Colorado Switchblade Podcast. <laughs>